Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, it's that time of the week again where myself, Ollie Geel, and of course Australia's third favourite son, Mark Schwarzer, we like to sit down and try a bottle of red wine. And then at the end, we will compare that bottle of wine to a player past or present. We're in London. I'm looking out the window. It's a miserable day. But that's the best thing about doing the podcast, Mark, on a Monday. You know, we have the chance to liven things up. Yeah, it certainly uh, has been better in the past when we've been able to be in the same room together, drink that bottle of wine together. And this, the weather wouldn't even come into consideration no. if that were the case. Obviously, the circumstance we're in, it's not the way. We're doing it via Zoom. And you're right, we are, the two of us are in London, but our guest isn't. Ooh. So he's a, he's a long way away from London. Uh, it's a big smoke for him, I have to say. Um, but uh, it's a guy that I played with for a season at Middlesbrough. Um, at a time when uh, most successful period in the club's history, I have to add. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a defender, like to uh, get in people's faces, which you'll talk about a little bit later on. You'll bring up a, a question for him, which is going to be interesting to hear that discussion. Um, played, uh, what is it, over, I think over 300 games or so in the Premier League, numerous clubs, Norwich, Charlton, Leeds, Middlesbrough, Man City, Hull, Charlton again, and then Derby uh, played a, 19 games for England, played the World Cup in 2002. So if you haven't guessed who it is, it's none other than Danny Mills. Millsy, welcome. Oh, very good to be here. I'm expecting as part of my fee a bottle of this wine I keep hearing about. <laughs> I, keep, yeah, okay, I keep looking then. around. Yeah, don't worry, Ollie, Ollie's got quite a few bowls of wine that came over directly yeah. from Australia. We'll certainly sort you one out, uh, if not now, but definitely once uh, all these restrictions are lifted, just to let everyone know. So we're in London, yeah. you're in Harrogate in the North, North Yorkshire place where I used to live as well when I was playing up at Middlesbrough. Uh, am I a wine guy? Uh, yes, but I know not an awful lot about it. Um, I, I know there's quite a bit of wine snobbery that goes on yep. in the world, um, and it has to be this and it has to be that. I like what I like. If I don't like it, I don't care how much it is. I ain't drinking it. Simple as that. Um, yeah, good. Yeah, I think just it's, I, it's like food. Everybody likes different things, so there's no shame in liking a cheap bottle of Plonk. If you like it, then get stuck into it. Simple as that. Oh, you now, do bring, he'll do brilliantly on our show, by the way, because oh, like, particularly yeah. with me anyway, your, to be fair, your taste is a little bit mm, on the top end, really. You go for the more expensive-ish yeah. sort of bottles. I, I drink anything. Correct. I'm exactly the same as you, Mills. If I like it, I'll drink it. And I don't have a lot of clue about it. I just know if I like it, I like it. And if I don't, I don't. And to be fair, there are very few bottles of wine that I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just especially say as well, you, especially as you get two in, then, then, then that's oh, all you have to worry oh. about. 
it's good to have a, a wine fan on. We've had a few. Just um, was it Stephen Warnock, Mark, who just had um, doesn't drink it. Vo- bit of vodka, vodka yeah. orange. Um, we oh, had, I, I, do, I do, I do, plenty, I do plenty of vodka. There's, there's a big crystal head up there. <laughs> so don't don't worry about that. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's there's wine scattered around. Brilliant, brilliant, Millsy. We'll get on to it. So you started in your career at Norwich four years. That's where you kind of came onto the scene. Got your move to Charlton, and that probably fair to say is when you really kind of became more noticeable. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I, I think obviously the the move to Charlton. I played about seventy five games for Norwich. Um, it's my boyhood club. Um, it, it's what I did. You know, come through the system, got in, then was left out. You know, as young players do from from time to time. And I had a sort of six months in the reserves, and then out of the blue, I sort of there was a. It wasn't an England under-21 game. It was a representative game for the Football League under-21s we played against Italy. And Alan Kerbishley at the time was looking for a right-back. Steve Brown, who was a fantastic servant for Charlton, uh, basically had no knees. His knees were shot to pieces. uh, And they needed a right-back with a little bit of pace. Uh, We played in a representative game. I did all right. uh, Showed what I could do. Uh, I think we played on the Tuesday or the Wednesday. Uh, I say Kerbs was the manager. Les Reid was the coach. Uh, and then I think he put a bid in for me, um, and that was sort of like the end of end of March. I remember back, remember back in the old days, Mark, when the transfer window was like the last Thursday in March, whenever it was. Yeah. That, you know, you know, when, when football, when you could pass it back to the goalkeeper and he could pick it up. I know. Um, back in those days. Um, so that that yeah, so I, I got my move to Charlton. Um, the end of March, we went on an incredible run uh, towards the end of the season. Uh, we didn't concede a goal. Uh, we won. I think eight of the last nine games drew the final game against Middlesbrough. Uh, I, don't, I don't think you, 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 I don't think you were there then, were you? That was 80, 88, 80, something like that. No, 98, you mean? 98. 98, yeah. sorry. I yeah. was, yes. Um, I was at Middlesbrough. Oh, so yeah, yeah, so we, 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 we drew that last game of the season. I think, did you go to the playoffs as well that year? Uh, we finished second. Ah, so you got promoted. Uh, we went into Actually, the so I lie. Wasn't it, we, we sure, we, hang on, because 97, 98, we got. Uh, 96, 97, 97, 98, we got promoted that season, yeah. Yeah, so you must have finished. That's second. right. So at the end of the season, we got promoted. <coughs> yeah, and, Sunderland, uh, Sunderland would have finished third and we, and we finished. Yeah, it must have been like second last game of the season because we beat, we beat, um, God, who did we beat at home? We won 4-1 at home and got promoted off the back of that win because we needed to win our last game of the season. Right. So, yeah, so then obviously went into the playoffs. Uh, we, we played against Ipswich, uh, which was an old rival of mine, obviously, from my Norwich days. I got sent off uh, in the first game. Uh, Maurizio Trico, diving, cheating, <laughs> all sorts, whatever he was, threw himself to the floor. And of course, there, there was no VAR, there was no retrospective action. And it was a second yellow um, at the time. We, we won the game 1-0. There was a huge issue after the game. Um, it all kicked off in, in the players. I remember the players' lounge at Portman Road, but you used to have to walk up some steps to get to the players' lounge at the top. It all kicked off. Uh, Tariko started having a go at Neil Heaney, who was stood at the stood at the top of the stairs. Uh, I think Maurizio was with his wife at the time, and he started giving it to, to Neil. And Neil just went, "Come on, then!" And Maurizio ran up the stairs, and as he got to the top of the stairs, Neil just went, and he just went <laughs> all the way down the stairs. And of course, it was then the police were called. David Sheepshanks got involved. They tried to get the game null and void, and we still had the second leg to play. Um, my sort of red card was sort of rescinded, so I, I only missed the following game. But there was a deal done between the two teams. But obviously, uh, Neil was the was the 
they were going to play on. They, they had played opposite each other. You know, it'd been you know winger versus fullback. I think there was some kind of deal done that they could both play the game, but one of them had to swap sides. <laughs> it was absolutely no ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, well, look, okay, we're not going to call the police. We're not going to get this involved. It's like, hang on a minute. It's on CCTV. Tariko ran at Neil and then he just dropped him. Um, you know, what was, what was he supposed to do? So that, that was quite funny. But of course, yeah, we went to the playoff final, which was, I, I think, and probably still is one of the greatest playoff finals um, that, that's ever been seen. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember watching it and just like, I think I switched back and forth and then ended up um, uh, watching the entire game. Well, what's most of the game? And it was just insane. I mean, 4-4 after extra time. I mean, I mean, it was only 1-0 at half time. So it, it wasn't like the first half wasn't particularly no, great, no. was it? No, it wasn't. And we'd, we'd, had ten, we'd, we'd had 10 clean sheets in a row That's up right. to this point. We were on fire. You know, we, we'd, you know, we'd won nine out of the last 10 games. We'd keep on all these clean sheets. And then suddenly we let four goals in. I mean, it was just ridiculous. I don't remember an awful lot about the game. Um, I was very, very young at the time. Um, and it was a bit of a blur. I think we stayed somewhere in Henley. Uh, night before was very very nervous we had some of the cheapest polyester suits on the planet um <laughs> that were, were not great you know sort of typical cup final playoff final suit uh but turn I, I remember sort of walking around I, I don't remember being in the dressing room I don't remember walking out onto the pitch uh everything was very very much of a blur I remember getting done for one of the goals uh might have been the third goal first goal third goal, I don't know Quinny did me at the back post it's not as, when I look back on it, it's not as bad as I thought. Um, just got sort of caught under it a little bit at the far post. Quinny chested it down and, and fired it in. Uh, but, I, I, you know, that's always been my sort of memory of that game. of thinking, ah, oh, could have done better. Could have done better. Yeah, but we got promoted. Yeah, I know, but could have done better. Um, but you know, it's like that, that's how it is sometimes. But, yeah, I, I got dragged off on about 70-ish minutes, I think. Uh, Curbs, Curbs loved the substitution, either number two or seven. There were no other numbers, no other numbers on the board. That, that's it. It was, it was me or Sean Newton coming off every single time. Yeah, seventy-six um, minute, seventy-six yeah. minute, you got substituted. But, but I think, I think then, I think Brownie came on, uh, and there was one point where Brownie made one of the best. John Robinson came seen. on. Steve Brown came on yeah. afterwards, ninety-third minute. Yeah. Yeah, it must have been extra time. Brownie, Brownie made one of the best tackles you'll ever see. It was a two-footed lunge from about twenty yards away. Um, now straight red card without a shadow of a doubt but he won the ball and it went out wide and obviously you know Clive scored scored again um, you know a hat-trick at Wembley for Clive who was a Sunderland fan uh, and of course we, we went on but it went to penalties um, and, and Sasha Illich somehow became a hero from you know the, sadly for Mickey Gray possibly the worst penalty that Wembley has ever seen Yeah but hang on you said somehow Sasha Illich I heard he found a, a 10p coin and he was flipping it around each time to determine uh, which I, way he was going. He yeah, I mean, I mean Sasha liked a story. So there, there, there might be arms, legs, glasses and a false tash on that story. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know what they say, never, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Um, I, I'm not convinced about that. I mean, it made Sasha, well, for made him for a season. Um, <laughs> until people realised he wasn't that good, um, but, but yeah, you know, he, he got all the plaudits, he got all those types of things. Obviously, got us into the Premier League, which was obviously you know absolutely fantastic and outstanding. Uh, but yeah, it was it was nerve wracking. But the, one of the best things about that, uh, two things: uh, the, the celebrations afterwards, 
Uh, I think we were we were sat around a piano somewhere near Wembley. I don't even remember the hotel. And Les Reed was playing the spoons all night. Brilliant, you know, absolutely fantastic. Uh, and, and the second thing, me and Mark Kinsella walked down Wembley Way with the playoff trophy. And it was like it was bizarre because I, I we must have stayed somewhere near you know, the, the conference, uh, sorry, the arena. Um, you know, when you have to walk down and, yep. and then find the, the hotels and stuff. I don't even remember what hotel it was. But we're walking down, and me and Mark are just walking down Wembley Way with a trophy. They're just thinking, this is just surreal. This is bizarre. And that's one of the only things I, I can really remember uh, about the night. And how long have the celebrations gone for? Oh, a, a while, I think. Uh, a while. Uh, but, but again, you then suddenly start, because it's a shortened season. Uh, I'd, I'd only been at the club what, 12 games, you know, 14 games, I think I played in, in total that season. So I hadn't been there long. I was still living in a hotel. So then it was like a, a race to try and find a house and get moved down and, and all these types of things. Uh, so it was a, it was a really, really sort of busy period. And I was only, I was, you know, I was barely twenties, you know, really, really young and having to go through all that and then think about being in the premier league and all these types of things. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a real sort of whirlwind of a, of a few months. Now, as a, as a fan of football, I might be overthinking this, so it's tough for me to, to gauge, but do you ever sort of sit back and get really frustrated that you weren't on the pitch at the final whistle? Or does that not really matter? Because the day itself, the win and, you know... Yeah, no, the trophy. Do, do you know, there, there, is, there is a bit of that. Uh, because you, you start... And, and because I, I feel I was at fault for one of the goals, mm. there's part of me thinking, do I really deserve to be in these celebrations? You know, it, it, should this really be... Did I play a part in this? Actually, yeah, I did. And, and, that's, and that's a bit daft and a, and a bit naive. I, I've had it the other way around where, I don't know if, obviously, when England qualified for the World Cup, uh, Beckham scored the free kick against Greece, um, you know, at Old Trafford. It was almost sort of single-handedly won the game. And I was in the squad, but I was not on the bench. I was stood in the tunnel. And, of course, the celebrations were wild. You know, it all went off. And all those not involved just went and stayed in the tunnel because it's, you've not been part of it. You know, you, you don't feel that you should be part of it. So there, there, is a, there was a point, but of course, it, very, very quickly, you know, everybody was on the pitch. There was, you know, bundles and there was all sorts going on. And thinking, hang on a minute, I've come to this club. We, we've won. We've not lost. You know, since I've arrived at the club, we, we've not lost a, a single game. I've been sent off, been substituted, scored, all these. <laughs> you know, it was quite, it, it was, like I said, it was an absolute whirlwind of an experience. But then, of course, for me, it was all about, I'd been in the reserves for six months, hardly played, gone to Charlton, scored on my debut, played every single game, got into the playoff finals, got sent off, playing at Wembley, and then promoted to the Premier League. It's like, whoa, hang on a minute, I've just got to stop my head from spinning um, a little bit. So would you have taken a penalty? Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, I know you would as a mature Danny Mills, but yeah, whether no, or not we, you would have done as a young we'd... Danny Mills. We'd, we'd worked on it. Um, you, you won't be surprised. It wasn't a Penenka um, or, or it wasn't a little hop, skip and a jump and wait for the key to, keeper to move. It was an absolute smash into the left-hand corner. Um, that, was, that was the only place it was ever going to go. Oh, brilliant. So you, um, it was a couple of seasons at, uh, well, actually one season at Charlton um, and then you made the move to Leeds. How did that come about? We were, obviously, we, we, we did all right to start with uh, and then we had a real bad run. Um, in the in the Premier League, uh, but I was I was doing okay, you know. It was all the first season, um, you know, we were wanted to get get noticed from from one or two people, uh, and that type of thing. I, I got a phone call in around about again about around about the March time, 
uh, we were due to play Leeds on the Saturday. Uh, I got a phone call from a, an agent of a, of a friend of a friend, you know, that, that type of thing, you know, a little bit of skullduggery going on. And they just said, and it was uh, somebody that knew David, David Hopkins' agent, Hoppy's agent at the time. And he'd, he'd phoned somebody else and said, oh, actually, you know, Leeds are interested in a, in a right back because uh, Gary Kelly's been out injured for, for a couple of seasons. Um, I think he's been enjoying life with Lee Sharp a bit too much. Uh, and they're not sure he's going to come back. Uh, or what, you know, what sort of state he's going to, you know, come back into. So this is an opportunity that, you know, they're, they're looking for a new right back. I'm thinking, oh, Leeds, they're doing well at the moment. You know, they're sort of up there challenging for the European places and that sort of thing. Oh, Harry Kuehl. Oh, that's going to be a tough one. Uh, oh, okay. Me versus Harry. Okay, right. Get your head around it. Friday, you know, sort it out. Booted him off the park for about 70 minutes. Um, and then he went and played left, uh, went and played right wing, went and played on the other side. So I thought, oh, that's it, job done. Um, happy days. And there's sort of, again, there was one or two sort of phone calls going on uh, behind the scenes and basically said, well, look, you know, if you get relegated, then we're definitely coming in for you because uh, obviously Charlton will be looking to sell. It will just depend on the fee and, and that type of thing. So I got to the end of the season, was away with the under 21s. Uh, Leeds were, knew that Leeds were interested. They, I think they put a bid in for about one and a half million. Uh, and mind, I mean, at the time, the season before, I'd moved for 250,000 from Norwich to Charlton. Been there, what, 14 months, promoted, relegated, had a sunborn, you know, second last day of the season. Again, crazy, crazy time in my life. And then I got, there was about 6,000 injuries in the full England squad. And me and Kieran Dyer got called in to the full squad uh, from the under 21s. And all of a sudden, the leads started going, oh, hang on a minute. Uh, sorry, Charlton started going, hang on a minute, he's a full international now. Well, no, he's not. He's been drafted into the squad because, you know, there's, it's like COVID was going around. There was nobody fit to play. Um, but suddenly the fees started going up and I'm thinking, hang on a minute, this is getting ridiculous. And so all of a sudden it was like two million, no, not taking that. Two and a half million, no. Three million, no. I mean, hang on, 250 grand. You've, yeah. You're making 10 times. And it was really me or Kinsella had to go um, because... The club needed the money. They need some finance. So it was me or Kins. Kins wanted to stay. Uh, I, I was quite happy to, to go. And I looked at Leeds and the young squad and everything else. And, and in the end, I went into to Richard Murray um, at the club and said, look, there's obviously some bids in for me. I, I'd like to go and I want to go to Leeds. And he said, well, Villa are interested and someone else is interested. I said, well, I don't want to go anywhere else. I said, I want to go to Leeds. They're the team that are doing well. They're interested. They've been interested for a while. I want to go there. Um, so I just said to him, I said, you know, what, what would happen if hypothetically I said, you know, I, I don't want to play for this club anymore next season. He said, well, if we get four million pounds, you can go. Um, and I said, well, oh, four million. I mean, back, back then, that's a lot of money. It's quite a lot of money now. Um, and then that was it. I think Leeds came in with like something like 4.1 and it got to 4.3 or something like that. And, and that was it. Deal was done. Uh, off I went to Leeds. Was that like the, the, the sort of the, the happiest moment you were in your career? at that time when you went to Leeds, that period at Leeds? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, for the first 10 games, it was brilliant. I mean, making a debut at Ellen Road, packed house, was superb. Uh, again, it was tough. You know, uh, George was only, I think, three weeks old when we moved up north. Uh, so that certainly, you know, wasn't easy. That, that was quite tough and finding the house. And, you know, people forget sat-nav didn't exist. Smartphones didn't exist. Finding your way to the training ground, you have to get a map out. Yeah, you know, play liaison officers didn't exist. No, you know, if you wanted to find a house, you had to go into as an estate agent and and sort of then get taken. 
So that, you no know, way. It, like a player had to go off the stage. Yeah, no way. You know, Hang I mean, on. Exactly. Hang on. <laughs> but um, I mean, so, so you know, life was a little bit more complicated. And I th- then I think after sort of 10 games or so, a little bit of reality kicked in um, and then had a little bit of a dip in form. Um, and of course, you know, it, it's tough. You know, you've moved away. You've moved. You've got a new baby. Family's moved away. All these types of things. Uh, but then after a year or so, got back in the side uh, and then really just went from strength to strength. You know, the, the year we played sort of Champions League. Uh, we had a lot of injuries and that's why I got back in the side. Uh, Gary Kelly was out for a bit, got back in and, and then stayed in really. And we were, you know, we had a young, hungry side. Uh, yeah, we had fantastic, great ability. Uh, and, yeah, I remember, I remember that it was, leads were exciting, weren't they? Spent a lot, a lot of money. Were, were very, very good. A lot was happening. People actually thought, was it sustainable? As we all know, it wasn't in the end. But that moment, um, 2000, 2001, Champions League semi-final, that must have been pretty special. That whole run in that competition, which is just oh, an amazing competition uh, playing. It, it, it was, it was sensitive. I mean, at Ellen Road, we were, you, well, you'll have played against us, Mark. You know, we, we were horrible. You know, we were a really nasty team to play against. You know, we would happily, if you look at the Leeds team now, we were similar, but we were way more aggressive yeah. than that. You know, we, it was, you know, myself at right back, Harty, who wasn't very quick, but used to leave his foot in all the time. <laughs> uh, Lucas, centre half was you know was the rash was all over people you know stepping on people's Achilles left right and centre with a touch of class obviously in Rio Batty and Decor in midfield both loved the yellow card you know Bats was Bats was the enforcer was was the midfield general Um, then we had Smithy uh, who would do all Vadukes' running for him? Uh, <laughs> you know, and, but even you know, Vadukes is a big you know he's a big lad when he can handle himself. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we, we had we had Harry on the on, on the left hand side. Who, and again, if you look back, we were one of the first teams to play four three three. We we didn't play an orthodox four four two. You know, yeah. it was quite different because Bo. Oh, we have Lee Bowyer as well. Don't forget. Let's yes, not forget. Right. You know. Yeah. So again, not the nicest of team. Um, <laughs> but at Ellen Road, we were we were vicious. We were nasty. Uh, and, and we had a fantastic home record, and that's what sort of got us through. Um, we had a, we had an incredibly difficult run. You know, the first group, Barcelona, AC Milan. Um, so we managed to get through that. Second group, Real Madrid, Lazio, and Anderlecht. Uh, you know, not not easy. You know, and then this was back when it was you know two group stages before the knockout rounds. Uh, but then I think we just obviously we got to Valencia. We drew at home, uh, nil nil. Went away to Valencia and. They were just a cut above. Uh, Mendy, Mendy, obviously, Medietta was was in that was in that moment where he was one of the best players around, yep. best players on the planet. And and I think ultimately we, we just weren't quite good enough um, in that period. But then we, we went to Valencia and everyone shaved the head, um, apart from me. I, mine was already done. Uh, and Ian Hart, Harty was the only one that refused to shave his head. Um, if you look back at the photos, yeah, everyone's like everyone's just like skinhead. It's a a bizarre situation for for a Champions League semi final. Wouldn't happen in this day and age. What, why did you have to do that? Was that just for a laugh? Or <laughs> yeah, we, we we had incredible team spirit. Um, yeah. You know, through the, it was a young, hungry squad. And when you look at the other players that were in there, um, you know, McPhail uh, was in there. Woody, obviously, Johnny Woodgate yep. was coming through as well. Uh, I mean, Robbie Jacob Keane, Burns, Robbie, Robbie Aussie there, Jacob, Jacob Burns. Burns. Yeah, you know, Danny Hay. Danny, Danny, was Danny Aussie or was he Kiwi? I can't remember. Ah, uh, um, Kiwi. Yeah, so, you know, we, we, we had a really sort of young, vibrant, energetic squad. And it was, 
you know, it, it was a, it was a bundle of laughs. And then we had the likes of sort of Jason Wilcox and Batty and people like that that were sort of the and, and Nigel Martin, the sort of the, the senior statesman. And, and they were, and Bats was the best at it. Bats was the general. Bats would get everybody else to do his dirty work. So Bats would come up with all the ideas and then go, go on, lads, go and do that. And then we'd just walk away and, and keep himself out of trouble. And then, of course, when everybody got caught, he'd be like, oh, nothing to do with me. Brilliant. Uh, can I ask, um, just when touching on, on Ellen Road, as you can probably understand, a lot of Aussies, you know, even if they don't go for Leeds, there's a connection and an interest there. And certainly when they come over for a holiday, if you're a football fan, you try and get up there because it's so obvious how awesome the, the energy is within that stadium. You both, I'm sure, have differing experiences playing for Leeds and then you playing for the away team. But what's it like? Can you paint a word picture at all? It is... I've been to many games, uh, many grounds, and, and I may be biased because I played there, but I've been back as a fan a few times and been back as a, as a pundit, as a, you know, working as a commentator, whatever. The place is absolutely rocking. When they turn on you, and they do turn on you, don't worry about that, it's not great. You know, it, it's a tough place to be. The moans and the groans and, and the criticism is, is tough. But for the majority of it, they are behind you 100%. You know, they, they back you to the hilt. They sing no matter what. You know, you, you come out, and even there, you know, you'll get them marched on together. And back in our day, they, they, every player had his own song, effectively. And, and the, the crowd would go through every single player's song, normally finished by uh, the, you know, the, the Lucas Radaby song. Um, you know, Lucas was you know, an absolute you know, legend and still is a legend at the football club. And that was just what it was like. You know, if, if, if you gave them everything, if you gave them 100% effort, no matter what, they loved you to bits. Simple as that. And when you look at the team that we had, we did have our failings. But because of the 60s and the 70s and the dirty leads tag and everything else, we were quite happy to live up to that. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the fans, you know, that, that sort of that Yorkshire grit and everything else, you know, that with, certainly at home, you know, that, that really, really helped us. The, um, uh, just thinking about that, when you think about Leeds today, and you said that there are comparisons from that team to the Leeds team today in terms of work rate and the energy that they play. How far away are this side from getting back to those days of, of that team, you know, that 2000, I, 2001? I think, I think it's just quality of players, Mark, if, if I'm honest. Uh, you know, for, for, all the, for all we were very, very energetic, very, very robust, you know, and we had massive disciplinary issues. You know, through, throughout the, you know, always, Smithy was always getting sent off. I had issues several times. I think my worst season. What, what do you mean? What do you mean you had issues? <laughs> I've, ret- I've retired now. I don't play anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think four, 14 yellows and two reds, I think, was my worst season. Um, wow. You know, I think Bo, in that same period, Bo got banned for eight games that year. Um, you know, we'd, if you go through it, and, and, and this is back when you had to, but, you know, it was, you had to create, create, it had to be GBH to get sent off. Um, you know, we had some discipline issues, um, you know, with that and off the field issues um, yes, that's as right. well. You know, yeah. let's, let's remember that with, with Woody and Bo and, and everything else that was going on. Um, but yeah, I think we, we were just, it was just great times. Um, but the current side, I think it's just quality of players. They're basically, they're champ- the majority of them at the moment are championship standard players. The team that we had were generally internationals. Um, and, and I'll do myself down at times. Say, look, you know, I was, I was never the greatest technical player on the planet, but we had a way of playing and a system that worked. And, th- and that system at Leeds, for us, worked brilliantly because Bo played on a narrow on the right hand side. 
I was able to run up and down. Harry occupied generally two players, you know, the fullback and the wide midfield player on the opposition. So Harty never really got exposed for pace down the left-hand side. Batty was the original holder midfield player. Oli Decor was a was a huge big game player, you know, stepped up in all the big games and was brilliant. Smithy ran about knocking seven bells out of everybody, you know, all the time. And then Badukes would score the goals uh, when he was up for it. So, it, 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 and we obviously had the likes of Rio in there and, and, and Lucas as well. And, and Nigel was just a steady Eddie goalkeeper, yeah. never came out of his six yard box. I've always said it's like a jigsaw puzzle, but only Rio really ever went on to be better than he was at that period at Leeds. Everybody else was all right, was good, but never really, I suppose, you know, had a better spell in their career than they did in that sort of that three or four year period when we were all at Leeds together. Who was the who was the one player out of that group when at training you didn't enjoy the most playing against them at training? Didn't want to be up against them necessarily. Oh, Jason Wilcox was a pain in the ass. I mean, Jason Wilcox, Jason, Jason probably cut from the same sort of cloth as me. It, it was all about work rate, effort, um, you know, hard work and, and putting it 100% in every single day. And of course, because of obviously Harry played most of the time on the left-hand side, Jason was obviously you know, often on the bench or, you know, sort of as, as backup. So you're playing defence versus attack or whatever it might be. And it's me versus Jace. And he's just relentless, you know, closing down all the time, never giving you a minute space. And you're like, oh, God, Jace, do me a favour. Just give it. He's like, I'm trying to get in the team here. I said, I know, but come on, give us a break. And it was, <laughs> but, it, and, and, but that's what it was. And, and this is why I find it bizarre now that, you know, we, we get this, you know, the, the Gagan press or we get, you know, this high press and you've got to, or we just used to call it closing down. Yeah. And if you didn't close down from the front, you got dragged off. That was it. There was no, there was no magic word. You know, there was no great science to it. It was, you know, if someone's got the ball, run at them as fast as you can. You know, don't dive in and, and, and try and win the ball off them. So Leeds have obviously been, uh, you know, an incredibly interesting team to watch this year in the Premier League. I think that's, it goes without saying. But one thing you touched on there that really interests me is that the fact that you think that the quality of the majority of the squad is still sort of championship level. Do you think if you're a fan of Leeds, that's the worry that when Bielsa goes, we know how good he has been for certain players, Calvin Phillips, Luke Ayling, you know, these guys that really, uh, you know, uh, up until when Bielsa turned up were just, you know, in the squad and playing around, and that well, was it's, it's like, I think, not I fear think, when he leaves. Uh, oh, definitely. I think uh, Matthias Click, uh, yeah. Click was on his way out of the club, and then Bielsa came in and saw him and said, "No, I like this guy. You know, I want him to be part of it, and, and we'll go from there." And so uh, Bielsa is getting, and I've said many times, he's getting one hundred and fifty percent out of those players. You know, he, he, they are performing way above where where really they should be, and, and he manages to put square pegs in round holes and make it work. He plays left wingers at right back and right wingers up front and you know all over all over the shop, and he does it with you know almost seamless regularity. It's a bit, and again, there's a real close connection between the two: the Guardiola effect. Mm-hmm. When Guardiola leaves and you play that one way and you only have that one way of playing, who can take over? Who can step into that? And that I think Leeds' biggest concern, biggest fear going forward is. What is next? Who comes after Bielsa? You know, who has the motivation? Who has the diligence to get the lads to train three times a day, to sleep at the training ground, you know, to not be interested in anything else, to live in his Leeds United tracksuit? All Bielsa does is football. 
and Leeds and game after game after game. He has no, it's like he has no other interests in his life. You know, he lives in Weatherby, walks to the training ground. He sleeps there at times. You know, to find somebody to, to step into that is going to be difficult. But the hope, I think, is they survive this year. And I think they will survive this year, Neil. You then sort of survive the next season. And then you can start to attract maybe a, a better class of player. Uh, and, then, and then hopefully you start, you know, if another manager comes in, you've got a little bit of a transition where actually it's not just about the way that Bielsa plays and the high tempo and the ludicrous high press. I mean, the best way to describe it for people that sort of don't see them that often is, and Mark, I've seen this in training. We used to play a game where you could only tackle one person. You could only tackle your opposition number. So effectively, you go one for one all over the pitch. So if you don't do your job, someone just gets the ball and runs through, you know, and that's how Leeds play. They just go man for man all over the pitch. And at times... There's this huge chasm in midfield because you've got like seven players attacking, three at the back, both on opposite 18-yard boxes and nothing in the middle. Yeah. Uh, and it's scary if you're a defender. <laughs> all the, but, but, that, but that's what they do. And at the moment, you know, they're going to lose some games. They're going to win some games. Um, and I, I read a quote the other day that said, actually, you know, I think Leeds are the first team that have come up from the championship. And a lot of people expect them to win every single game. Yeah. Because of the way that they play. And when they don't win a game, it's like, oh, no, you can't play that way. Bielsa's not good enough, whatever. You, know, you have to think, 16 years they've been outside the Premier League. Mm. You know, so, and, and I think there is a little bit of that, actually, that because of the because they're exciting and the way that they've started and, and the high tempo, everybody's thinking, well, they should win this game. They should win this game. Hang on a minute. You know, let's, survival it has to be the most important thing. I mean, for, for everything that Bielsa is and what he does and how effective he's been and how he's turn the club around, there are shortcomings, aren't there? In terms of the talk about January transfer window, will he bring someone in? Generally, no. what happens with the Leeds is they need time, don't they? The player needs time yeah. to come up to speed, to know the way uh, it's, that he also plays. It, it's in, I mean, he came in, obviously, over the, he brought some players in over the summer. Uh, obviously, they went to Australia pre-season. Uh, was this pre-season or last pre-season? I can't no, remember. last, wouldn't have been this year. Last, <laughs> the, the, the previous, yeah, the previous one to that. Um, but he left the three new signings at home. He did two days in Australia. He was there for the Manchester United game, which obviously was the, was the big, you know, was the big showpiece event. And then he flew straight home to work the three new signings. When he brings a player in, his philosophy is it takes you two months to get fit enough and understand the way that I want to play. So if I bring you in at the end of January, by the time we get to the end of March, we've got six, seven games left. It's not worth it. It's pointless. And I'm thinking, Pep adores you. You know, uh, Pochettino adores you. And this is one of the championship, especially. Can you not just go to one of those and go, can we just have a striker that can put the ball in the back of the net? Because we are creating 75 chances a game. Patrick Bamford was struggling, you know, at, at times. And it was, not, it not, was missing some, some chances. You know, I'm not the only person that noticed that. But it's like, can't you just like borrow somebody that's an out-and-out goal scorer? Don't need him for 90 minutes. Only need him for 15 to put one of those chances in the back of the net. And, and you'll have been 20 points clear uh, at the top of the table. But it's not his way. Um, he, he won't have it. And I think, you know, even in the championship when they brought in Perveda um, and Kevin um, Augustine, they didn't play. Because they, they came in and just went, you're not up to speed. And if you're not up to speed, you're not going to play. Simple as that. And speak to Luke Galen. 
uh, Liam Cooper uh, from time to time. And, and it literally is. Sometimes there's three sessions a day. And trying to get footballers to buy into doing three sessions a day, that's miracle stuff. Two sessions is bad enough. Three. Yeah. <laughs> you know you know what it's like. So you, you talked about it earlier on, about players having to stay overnight, living in their tracksuit, training three times a day. How long is that sustainable with this group of players? I think as long as you're doing well, uh, it, it's okay. And, and you can get away with it. Uh, it's, it's a bit like, I suppose, it's a bit like Mourinho. You know, when you're playing that, that style of football, if you're winning and you're successful, it's fine. The moment you start to become unsuccessful, players start to get the ump and they start to get a little bit like, mm, I don't like that. I'm not doing that anymore. This is, this is, nah, I don't like it. So, and again, because a lot of these players, it's their first season ever in the Premier League. You know, they've never been at such dizzy heights, you know, before. I think he's got, you know, a good couple of years in that. Um, and, and as long as they keep investing, as long as they keep bringing quality players in, as long as they keep doing well, you know what it's like, Mark, you know, if, if you're surviving and you're getting new contracts and you're getting better wages and all that sort of stuff, you'll go with it um, and you'll accept, you know, as long as it works and you're getting results, then you can almost get away with anything. So uh, 2003, four, you move from Leeds. Was that hard? I mean, you, your best time in your career, you enjoyed it. Well, yeah, one of was. the best moments, because you're going to have the best moment in your career, let's be honest, when you come to Middlesbrough. Of course, two, right. Um, and, and that came about by, purely by accident. Um, at, at the time, we were Le- Leeds was starting to go into financial meltdown. Um, you know, there was players who started to get sold left, right, and centre, and there was lots of talk of who's going to get sold, who's going to do this. Peter Reid had come in the season before. Um, obviously, you know, we we just stayed up. You know, Terry Venables had been sacked. I think in the March time, uh, it was seven eight games to go. Uh, we finished. Uh, we we survived on second last game of the season. Uh, we went away to Arsenal. Uh, Harry and Vadukes were on fire. That's right. Um, yep. Was it three 0 They three one something like that. I mean, yeah. they, they'd been missing. They'd been missing for about six months. Um, don't know. I don't know where they'd been. Uh, and suddenly they turned up to this game. You know, we, we a game we had to win. It stopped Arsenal winning the title. Uh, Manchester United won the title that day, and we survived. So it was, it was a double-edged sword for Leeds fans. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then, of course, the following season, Peter Reid um, was still there, and there were, I'd been away internationals. There was lots of rumours about you know clubs and I think Chelsea had come in for me at that time uh, so I think Ranieri must have been the manager at the time uh, yeah he would uh, have been yeah I think Abramovich had just come in uh, Sven did me no favours whatsoever because uh, I think they were looking at possibly buying me about three million quid you know sort of to get me out of Leeds uh, I mean Chelsea were doing okay at the time I think they were still like fifth sixth in the table and uh, I think Penis Harvey and, and Sven were advising uh, Roman Abramovich, but you know, he's sort of just you know just come into the club, and it's, and Sven told him to go and buy Glenn Johnson. <laughs> so cheers, Sven. <laughs> oh no, and, he, and he, obviously you played and remember the World that. Cup of two thousand and two in, uh, in a couple of, yeah, and, and it done quite well for him. But he said, yeah. "I buy Glenn Johnson," and then they sent Glenn Johnson back to West Ham on loan. It was like, "Oh, brilliant! Thanks for that." Oh. Cheers, Sven. Thank you. Um, you know what could have been. Um, but then Peter Reid had basically been told, look, you've got to get rid of these players. And there was me, Batty, uh, I think Wilcox, uh, might be even Nige, Martin at the time, Barnby. It was basically going training in the car park with the reserves. You know, it was just, you're not, you know, you're, you're surplus to requirements now. Uh, Steve Agnew um, was the reserve team manager. Yep. You can imagine his face as you've got all these senior players walking over to train with the kids. He's just gone, oh, no. <laughs> I was thinking, I don't need this. This is going yeah. to be hard work. 
And then I played in interna- played in an international. Uh, got left out the first game of the season, and then played international on the Wednesday night. And obviously, Steve McLaren was was manager. Uh, Gareth was was captain of Borough at the time. And Steve said, "What's going on?" I said, "Well, look, you know, they're desperately trying to get me out. They're trying to force me out." He said, "Well, look, you know, we've worked together at England. Do you want to come and play at Borough?" He said, you know, you know Gareth, you know Cooch, you know one or two of the players. Uh, you know, you've been with them. It's a great little club with going places. Why don't you come and play for me? Um, and I went, yeah, let's get it done. Uh, and one or two issues, couldn't get sort of a permanent move done. So went on loan. Um, and, and that was it, really. Um, the, the start of, a, of, of Borough's most successful season ever. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, getting to the League Cup final. Um, and obviously, your, my, my only silverware, your only silverware, um, but it was pretty special, wasn't it? I mean, amazing, amazing season, amazing run, um, and uh, to end it with winning. The the only thing I'd say is the only slight on that was it was the in Cardiff. And no disrespect to Cardiff, but it was in Cardiff Millennium Stadium rather than at Wembley. No, because you know the historical value. Yeah, yeah. I played at the old Wembley as you did, and it was amazing, yeah. right? So it would have been amazing to have played in the new Wembley, but obviously it was being built at the time. Well, and that's the, I mean, all my England camps, not, not a single one at Wembley. Wow. Um, you know, I, I never played at Wembley for, for England because it was being rebuilt at, at that time. Everything was, was on the road. Uh, but I think, I think the roof was closed, wasn't it? So I think yes, know, that that's made right. it uh, a little bit sort of, that was a bit more interesting and all the rest of it. Um, but no, I think we had a great, I, me- I remember the first game that we played against Brighton. Uh, and, we, you know, we just dominated, but we could not score. And I think Malcolm Christie scored about 30 seconds into extra time. Yeah, it was like you know, we've now got half an hour. There's no chance they're going to score. It's like we've got another half an hour to play. It's yeah, ridiculous. that's right. And we went through some penalty shootouts um, on that sort of journey on the way. Uh, and yeah, you know, the, the final was was brilliant, and it was it was. I think I think it was great for the club. It was great for all the players involved. You know, we we had a very we had a special team. You know, at the time, you know, defensively we were superb. Attacking wise, not so. Uh, you know, I think you know. Our whole, I mean, what was the? I think we, we beat Man City. The one game we beat Man City, didn't we? Without, without a shot on target, Sanji High scored an own goal. Yeah, yeah, would have been. Yeah, that's that was basically Middlesbrough that season. Um, you know, it was Mark and the back four, and then obviously George Boateng and Dereva sometimes sat sat there, and then we'd sort of try and keep a clean sheet and hope that somebody scored a goal, whether it be Joseph Job or you know Massimo Macaroni or, or Michael Ricketts. Uh, none of them were prolific in that season. Um, no, I remember. I, Absolutely. And obviously in the final, I had to throw one in just to make it a bit more interesting. 2-0 up after 20 minutes. Come on, it's got to be more interesting. So I throw one in and and it ended up being a pretty interesting finish to the game. But yeah, I mean, it was special, wasn't it? I mean, for a club like that. So what what happened? How did it not um, work out? Because I remember remember talking to you about it and saying you wanted to stay and it didn't just quite quite happen. Well, I'll try and keep it as brief as possible. Originally, it was supposed to be a permanent deal. Um, and obviously that couldn't be done because there was a time scale and all that type of thing involved. So we said, right, okay, look, we know the deal. Leeds want a million and a half quid. You know, I, I think, bear in mind, the season before, Borough had offered seven million for me. Right. Uh, so, and I'd signed a new deal at Leeds and everything else off the back of that. So suddenly now I was cut price because Leeds were just desperate. It was just get him out. And Keith Lamb was like, oh, hell, you know, we, 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 we think we might be able to get you cheaper. So my, my guys come up to Borough and it was the last day, last day of January. Uh, we were due to play Leeds the next day at Ellen Road. So everything was done. People came up, you know, advisors, whatever, did the contracts. Okay, here's a here's, five-year deal. Yep, sorted. Take, basically take over what you're on at Leeds plus a year, done. Went out, trained, came back in. 
yep, here's the contract. Uh, Keith Lamb just went, oh, we just got one final issue. I just need to go and try and sort it. Oh, okay, what, what's that? We'll not really agree to fee with Leeds yet. It's like, what? No. <laughs> What do you mean? Well, we just wanted to get your bit sorted first and knew that you were happy and, and then we're going to try and... Well, hang on a minute. You've had six months to agree this. You know it's a, it's a million... Basically, it's a million quid. Yeah. It's like, you've known all this. So he went back to it and, and Leeds went, no, no, it's a million. He said, well, we want you on a free because at the end of the season, they're going to be really like struggle. Leeds are currently sort of, you know, towards the bottom of the table, not doing well. If you wait another six months, we think we can get you on a free. And I went, no, 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 I can't do that. I said, I cannot go back to Ellen Road tomorrow and play in a game. And if we win, that puts Leeds bottom of the table. And I've got to go back there in the summer, having relegated them. Yeah. I said, I won't be able to set foot in Leeds, let alone go and play for the football club again. You know, when, when the, you know, when, play, when Rio had gone to Manchester United and Smithy, you know, their houses got bricked and all that sort of stuff. You know, there was the issues around when, when Doobes and the, and the Woody thing in court and everything else. Leeds fans were passionate. I couldn't go back and play against my team. You know, uh, they only, I had four years left at Leeds. So I went to, and I said, look, I said, I'm sorry, but you've, you know, you've, you've stitched me up massively. I said, I cannot go back to Ellen Road. Not going to play. End of. Went and got me boots. Went and got me bin bag full of stuff. Chucked him in the bag, got in my mate's car, drove past the bus on the way back down to Leeds. And, and that was it. I thought, I'm going back to Leeds. I've had enough. Can't. And that's obviously in the January before the, the Carling Cup final. So then I spoke to Eddie Gray, spoke to Trevor Birch, who was the administrator at Leeds at the time, and said, look, I want to come back and help you, Eddie. I want to get you out of this. Uh, Peter Reed's now gone. Eddie was like, yeah, brilliant, son. Get yourself back in. Um, and then Trevor Birch went, no, sorry, it's a year's deal. We can't do that. He's like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I had to have a meeting with Steve, uh, Steve Gibson, uh, Keith Lamb on the Sunday. Um, and I just said, well, look, as far as I'm... And Steve Gibson was really unhappy. I said, well, hang on a minute. See, look at it from my perspective. You're asking me to play against a club that owned me, a club that I'm going to have to go back to, a club that, we've just, that we beat yesterday, I think 3-0. And they're now bottom of the table. They're going to get relegated from the Premier League. I said, uh, and you've promised me so many things and, and you haven't delivered. And from that moment, I don't think it was ever going to happen. Uh, I think I'd, I'd upset Steve Gibson uh, maybe too much um, at that moment. I said, well, look, I'm, I'm here to end the season. I will give you absolutely everything. You've got no issues with that, no qualms, whatever. No big deal. And of course, towards the end of the season, um, I think we were sort of in and obviously we qualified for Europe uh, through, through the Carling Cup. We're doing pretty well, sort of mid, just above mid-table-ish. Uh, it was obviously coming up to the Euros and Steve pulled me into the office. Uh, Steve McLaren had said, look, you know, what do you think for next season? Uh, I said, well, yeah, great. I said, you know, I'd love to stay. You know, really enjoyed it. Uh, time's been great. Great bunch of lads. Um, you know, happy being Gareth's chauffeur, you know, driving up from Harrogate <laughs> every day. You know, not, not a problem. Could do with a bit more petrol money. Um, but... <laughs> And, and then, but but I knew because uh, Smithy, Alan Smith, Smithy was a good friend of mine, um, and I knew his agent well, and I knew that they'd been that they tapped up Michael Reisiger, so I knew that Michael Reisiger was coming in. It was obviously was right back, so and I just looked at Steve, and I just and I knew that Reisiger was coming in, and I and, he, and Steve just went to me, said, "Oh yeah, you're really you're a big part of my plans. You know, you, I really want you here next season. You know, I, this is what I see for you." And I'm just sat there going, "Just tell me the truth." Well, that's, un that's unlike Steve McLaren not to tell someone the truth. Oh, yes, <laughs> exactly. So, so it was, I, I just, all he had to say was, look, 
you really pissed off the owners. You know, you really didn't like what you did. I want to keep you. You've done great for me, but they won't have it. And I'd have gone, you know what? Fair enough. I yeah. get that. It's not a problem. Yeah. And then, of course, and then he went, oh, so what do you think about the Euros? And, you know, what do you think you'll be going this? I said, what do you mean? Do you, do you I said, you're the coach. You're the England coach. Surely you should be telling me if I'm going. And then I got left out of that as well. Um, so, yeah, not, not the greatest of summers. Obviously, I had to go back to Leeds, uh, that, were, that were back in the championship. Yeah. I mean, that led, obviously, the whole, you know, it all falls into place and you end up going to Manchester City. Um, uh, you've got um, Kevin Keegan as manager. He signed you. So you're obviously back in favour. You're feeling great because you signed a good deal. Um, but it was all quite short-lived, isn't it? Because Kevin Keegan then leaves the club. Um, yeah, so I, 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 I didn't want to leave Harrogate. Um, obviously, you know, more kids at that point was happy where I am, kids in school. So I was, had a flat in Manchester, you know, we was driving across and then doing that. And it was great. Started off really well. Uh, we were doing well at Man City. Uh, you know, good bunch of lads uh, doing okay. And then, I mean, it used to go from one extreme to the other. You know, Man City, ultra organised you know, three-week rolling plans, you know, constantly everything, every I dotted, every T crossed, turn up to Man City and it's basically, yeah, just turn up when you like, lads. You know what I mean? If you're late, have a warm-up, don't worry about it, not going to find you. Set pieces, ah, you're good enough, just play. It's like, what is this? Yeah. No discipline, no... And I had a couple of run-ins with Keegan about that and then, then he got sacked um, and then Piercy came in uh, and that was fine. Uh, it, it was fine for a bit and then I got injured uh, we played against Arsenal uh, and, and, and Dennis Bergkamp left left his foot in um, and, and, I, and I didn't realise at the time but I had a, a serious fracture um, across the shin two, two sort of big dents in the bone had about, had about 15 stitches at half time played on played the next couple of weeks just thought it was a cut and, and I was sore and was painful and it wasn't healing and then sort of realised that we had a sort of a two fractures um, in, sort of in, in the bone. So I'd been, been seeing sort of scans and everything else and Stuart Pearcey had done the, the press conference. Down at, I think we were playing chart on the way and they said, oh, you know, Danny Mills has not travelled, what's up? And he just went, broke his leg. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't elaborate. <laughs> just yeah. went, and of course, I'm then getting like a billion phone calls because when you say broke your leg, people think it's like, you know, it's yeah, snapped in two and, 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 and it's hanging off. Yeah. Um, and all that type of thing. Um, so by the time I came, I came back from that, uh, got back fit towards sort of the, the end of the season. Uh, and I, I think I'd had about three days training. Bear in mind, I'd been out for like six months. Um, you know, three, three days proper training with the team. My timing was all over the gaff. I mean, you know, my, my touch was not the best at the best of times, but I was, I was controlling it and it was ended up in a different postcode. You know, it was like, it was even worse than normal. I, and I was, I was miles off it. Um, and, and I know, and I, I thought first training said, you think, you know, I'm fit, I'm ready to go. And then you realize you are so far away. Yeah. It's untrue. So I went through all that sort of rigmarole. Um, and then Piercy came to me and said, look, we've got loads of injuries. I need you to play. And I went, I can't. I said, look, I've never, ever said no to any to playing in my life. I said, but I am so far off being ready. I said, I, I, I can't. I said, I, I will let myself down. I'll let the team down. I said, I've just realised th three days training, six months. I said, I'm, I'm just a million miles away. 
and he went, he said, oh, I've spoke to the physios. They said, you're fit. I said, yeah, but it's fit. And there's like, and there's match fit. Yeah. Um, and I said, look, I said, I can't, I can't do it. And he threw Mika Richards in. Uh, he, he threw Mika in um, at, at right back. And obviously, you know, Mika did pretty well. I think he was a 16 year old kid. That's right. Um, at, at the time. And that was it. You know, Piercy had it in for me uh, from, from that moment onwards. Um, so you claim that you've launched Mika Richards' career? Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> um, without a shadow of a doubt. But it's like, it's, it's like anything, isn't it? You, you, people get the opportunity because there's an injury or a suspension or, or whatever, you know, it might be. But I, I just knew. You, sometimes it was the first major injury that I'd had. And I just knew that I couldn't come back. From, you know, couldn't come back that quickly. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I was the sort of player that had to be fit. I had to be one, pretty much 100% at it. To, to be able to play to, to the ability that I had, I was so far off that. It, it, was, it would have been like you playing like out, outfield with your left foot. That, that's yeah. how bad it was. No, it's just not happening. Just never going <laughs> to happen. Um, that season, so the end of the season, Mika Richards is in the side. You've already, you've saying like the relationship with, um, with Stuart Pierce is sour. <laughs> Very last game of the season. What do you remember about it? Like, I want to know, I want to know what you were thinking. Like you were at the game, weren't you? I'm pretty sure yeah. you were there. Yeah, so it was, it was between us, wasn't it? It was between Borough yes. and City for, was it eighth or ninth at the time? Or seventh, seventh or eighth, whatever it was. Finished seventh. So yeah. you guys needed to win. We needed yeah. a win or a draw to, to finish so seventh. We're going through the game. Uh, I can't remember. Rob, Robbie missed the penalty. Yes. Uh, clearly, clearly didn't want to play on a Thursday. Um, did you, did you <laughs> save it? Yeah, I think you saved it. I it saved it. No, he wanted to go must, back to Liverpool because he went back to been, Liverpool, didn't he? Must have been a weak penalty. No, it was a pretty brilliant save. You've got to watch it again. <laughs> Fowler never missed penalties. It must have been an awful one. I know it was. It wasn't the best. So I, I remember just being on the bench and Nicky Weaver, uh, J-Mo comes running towards the, the touchline. Nicky Weaver's like sort of getting stripped. I think, oh, J-Mo must be injured. But J-Mo's like running flat out. 88th you know? minute. He, yeah. Nicky Weaver it, comes it, on and replaces Rayner. Well, this, and you're thinking, hang on a minute, why is J-Mo running towards the bench? He can't be injured. Weaves is getting stripped. J-Mo gets to the touchline and Piercy gives him a, an outfield player's shirt. James on the back, number one. And everyone's going, what? So no one knew. Did no, no did absolutely zero no, people knew. No one had a clue. Obviously, the kit man knew and maybe one or two of the coaching staff knew. Because this is this is purely premeditated. This is not last minute. Schwartz's going no. in front to try and you know just be a nuisance in the opposition's box. This is premeditated. We've printed a, a, a shirt for the goalkeeper, and then of course we've got John Macken sat next to me on the bench, <laughs> centre forward. You know, decent goal scorer, and we need a goal. I mean, you can imagine his face, and you can imagine some of the language that he had afterwards um, for, for Piercy in, in that moment, and it was just horrific. Uh, you know, it was just, it was abysmal. Uh, I mean, one of the worst decisions I've ever seen a, a coach make, you know, premeditated, put a goalkeeper up front rather than a centre forward. I mean, what are you thinking? I like mean, you said, you had John Macken on the bench, proven goal scorer. Okay, more prolific in the championship than he was in the Premier yeah, League. But, However, but, but far more likely to score than David James was. You know, absolutely. I mean, I think, I, I don't know. I think David James did touch the ball a few times, but he kicked more people than actually touched the ball. I actually think in the short cameo he had as an outfield player, he kicked more people than you did in that game. And that's saying something. <laughs> There's every chance. Every <laughs> chance. So that, and talk- I, I, I think, I think well, we, we didn't get, we lost it that season. And Piercy must have been 
Sven must have come in the season after, I'm guessing. So Piercy must have been sacked off the back of I that. I think he was, yeah, I think you're right. Um, obviously, we didn't qualify for Europe, I think, you know, and, and then obviously Sven came in. Um, and, and Sven, Sven, was, Sven, Sven was good. Sven knew, I, I, you know, hadn't played an awful lot of that season because I'd been injured. Uh, and when Sven came in, he came to me and said, look, he said, you know, I've just bought Charlie Corluca. I've just spent like eight million quid, nine million quid on a right back because, you know, you've been injured. I know what you can do. Um, and he said, look, you know, if you want to go on loan. No, actually, no, that, that season, it was Piercy I took the next season. I went to Hull on loan. That's right, you and did, I've, yeah. I've, I've missed, yeah, I've missed a season. I just, I, I needed to play some football. Piercy wasn't going to play me, um, you know, for, for whatever reason. We, we'd had this sort of falling out. I went to Hull and I, and I got a stress fracture in my leg again after 10 games. Uh, so I missed the whole of that season. And then it was the following season when Sven came in and bought Charlie Corluca and just said, look, you know, you've been injured for almost two years. I've got another right back. If you want to stay, you can stay. If you want to go on loan, you can go on loan. And, and that's when I went back to Charlton the, the second time. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a tough time. And basically, you know, you went on loan then afterwards again at Derby. You only played a handful of games. I didn't even play that. Time. Sorry? <laughs> I didn't even play that. Well, I think you got so two. I, According to the stats I've seen, you played two games at Derby. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. So it, I'd been at Charlton. I'd gone back to Charlton because um, Phil Parkinson was the assistant manager. Um, I worked Parky was a whole manager when I'd gone there on loan. Yep. Uh, and I really got on well with Parky. Done great at Charlton. Uh, thought there was going to be a move in the offing. Uh, they let me down last minute. I, had, I was going to I was going to rent Youngie's house because Youngie was living. I lived in Harrogate and obviously had a right. place down in London. I was going to rent Youngie's house in in London. Had school sorted for the kids, uh, and then Charles sort of didn't pull the plug. But I, I had three years, three four years left at City. I think three years left at City, and they offered me like a tenth of my wages, and I just went look. That's not going to cover my rent. You know, young, Youngie's charging me a fortune. Um, I can't <laughs> can't I can't move for that. Can't write off that sort of money. Um, so that fell through, uh, and Adam Pearson was the was the owner chairman at Hull. Uh, sorry, at Derby. He'd been at Hull previously as well. I said, look, come to Derby. This is the season they had. They got eleven points. Okay, yes. And, and he said, well, will you come and play for us? You know, we just need. To, we're not looking at this season. We're looking at sort of you know the seasons after. So do do on loan to the end of the season, and then we'll give you a three year deal, and and we'll go from there. You know, not a problem. Um, get back up from the you know because we're going to get relegated. We get back up, not an issue. So I went there, played the first game. Uh, I think we, we narrowly lost 1-0, I think, to Wigan. Uh, then I played in the cup game, FA Cup game with Sheffield Wednesday. I think we drew that. Uh, and then third game was Portsmouth away. 32 minutes in, I think, 32 minutes in, 1-0 up. 1-0 uh, up at that time, you know, bearing in mind, they got 11 points that season, 1-0 up. I just twisted my knee. Uh, went to get up, went run up, knee just gave way yet again. Uh, came off first time I think ever in my career I'd come off injured uh, and that was it never played again so you know, my Premier League career at, at Derby was 122 minutes the knee injuries are a funny one like I, I've, I've done my knee and I cannot watch people get injured like when say um, James Madison sort of hyperextended his knee um, was it uh, yesterday or the day before can you when you see players do their knees? How do you feel? Does do you get that shudder? It's an awful um, feeling. No, not really. I think you become sort of immune to it. You know, you you see it a fair bit. You you see some horrific things, uh, and often they're the innocuous ones. You know, my, there's yeah. no challenge involved. Um, I see, you know, when, when when Dennis left his left his foot in, and I went straight into it. It was a painful one. It was sore. But when I did my knee, it was just a twist. Just planted it. 
it just gave way. That was it. You know, chunk of cartilage came off the top of the bone, hole in, hole in it effectively. And that was that. Um, you know, I went to see the surgeon and I got one of those, you know, started off, it was like, oh yeah, mm, yeah, I think we, we'll, we, yeah, we can fix this, but yeah, it's, a, it's not a great place and yeah, but we, we'll have a go at it. And you're thinking, mm, okay, great. That's not really the news that I wanted to hear. Um, but I, I was what, I was 30 um, at the time. I think 29, 30. So, and, and I'd had a good career, you know, apart from, you know, sort of doing my leg a couple of times until 27, never had an injury. Um, and it was just, it was just one of those things. Um, you know, it, it was, it was sad because I thought actually, you know, Derby was a fresh start for me, you know, after doing well at Charlton, I think they were, I think we were second or third when I left them in the championship, obviously went, went to Derby uh, and thought, right. Okay. Again, I can still, I can live at home. I can still live in Harrogate. I can drive to Derby most days, you know, stay over when I need to stay over for, for games and it was all going to work. Uh, and then suddenly it's just, it's just ripped away from you. What was it like at Derby in terms of you went there and Robbie Savage is playing for Derby? You had a well, relationship. Rob, 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 Robbie, Robbie signed the week after me. So oh, did he sign the week was, after? Yeah. yeah. So there were some, some good old characters. Um, uh, Darren Moore was there. Yeah, Moro, fabulous, great guy and absolutely brilliant. You know, and, and, but they were struggling. Kenny Miller was there. They signed Lauren Robert as well, who I'd smashed quite a few times, obviously been a left winger. <laughs> so I was a bit wary about that one. But I, I'd gone in. Because uh, I'd I come in and right, okay, I've arrived now. We need to try, and it was all Paul Jewell was the manager, and it was like, right, come on, we, we this place needs a lift. You know, we need to inject some sort of energy because we're we're a bit shit at the moment, and you know, we, we need something. Right, okay, I, I can do that. I'll well, you're that shit. Place. Sorry, you were that shit that the record's oh, yeah. only just been broken by Sheffield United. Exactly. On the weekend. Although when I went off, we were one up, remember? Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if I'd have stayed fit, we might have survived that year. Um, so I, I come in and it's done. And then sort of after the, a week later, there's reports that Robbie Savage might be signing. Uh, and of course, I, I hadn't seen Robbie for, I hadn't, I'd never played with him, hadn't seen him. But the last time we played against each other was about four seasons previous, uh, Birmingham Borough. Yes, that's right. Robbie had tried to do me about waist high in an absolute coward's tackle. I turned around, picked him up by the throat, was, you know, literally lifted him off the floor. It's a great picture. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember. I can see I, it right now. And, and I was going to kill him. Um, only got a yellow card uh, somehow. But we hadn't seen each other. And, of course, you know, there was two sort of wind-up merchants and all that type of thing. And you could tell there was a little bit of an atmosphere and everyone was sort of going, oh, God, oh, this could, this could kick off. Uh, this could get nasty, you know, these two haven't, you know, oh God. And of course the press are making a bit of a thing of it. So like, okay, I need to sort this out somehow. So I went and got the picture um, of me, you know, grabbing around the throat like that. Um, and I signed it. So I just put, you know, uh, to Robbie, don't worry. I love you really, Danny. And I put it on his locker. Um, so the first day he arrived, it was on his locker. And to be fair, he left it there. Uh, and, and, and I think that just broke the ice you know, for, for everything. Because suddenly, you know, I might have hated him at that point. Um, I didn't know him as a person. I just knew him on the football pitch, a bit of an idiot. Um, and I just thought, but, you know, suddenly you're in the same team and, and you've got to make it work. And and I think everybody was a little bit worried around that it was all going to kick off. But Robbie was no hard man. You know, so that, that, was ne- that was never, ever going to be an issue for me. There was never going to be any flare-ups. There'd have been one winner. 
No, brilliant. I mean, it's, uh, I know it was a rivalry. I mean, you know, you see lots of players throughout careers that are, that are hard men getting into challenges. Robbie obviously was very vocal. It was like a, he was like a, a, a tornado. The pest. It was a pest. Yeah, he was a pest. But it's like, he's one of those players that I think, unless you played with him, you probably appreciated more what he did or had oh, an understanding definitely. about what he did yeah. as opposed to being on the opposition. Where you but, were... but, he, but he was annoying as hell. Well, and, yeah. And, you, and you, yeah. It, was just, it was just that fly that you just want to, not going to do you any damage, but you're just like, just want to give it a good slap. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And on that note, mate, um, thank you very much. It's been fascinating talking to you. Great to to hear the insight and go through memories um, throughout your career. And um, listen, thank you very much for coming on. It's been brilliant. Absolute pleasure. And I look forward to that glass of red sometime soon. Won't be long. Back to Ollie and Mark in just 15 seconds. If you enjoy Two Sharp Reds, though, make sure you search Geg and Pod wherever you get your podcasts. David Weiner is joined by thousands of games of experience both on and off the field. It's a great listen. G-E-G-E-N-P-O-D. The Gegen Pod. Okay, back to Two Sharp Reds. Well, Mark, that was so entertaining. We got so excited we didn't even talk about the wine at the start there. That's how keen we were to get onto it. It was a, it was a great chat with Danny, wasn't it? Loved it. Yeah, it was really good. I mean, Danny obviously works in media, um, has worked in media since he finished playing at 32 years old, which is obviously a really young age to finish. Uh, and, and people who don't know Danny, you know, he, he speaks his mind. He's got a very strong opinion and, you know, he, he divides opinions. And he's one of those players, again, same as like Robbie Savage. If he's on your team, you love him. If he's an opposition player, you hate him. And he's one of those players that people pick out. They, they Fans will will pick him out. They will have a go at him. They'll try and wind him up because he was always very aggressive, um, very full-blooded on a football pitch. Um, but you know, get to know him. You, you know he's like, he's a, he's a good guy. He speaks really well, knows his stuff. You know, it, it's football's all about opinions. And it's, yeah. you know, he's open for debate. And you can have a, a good debate with him. And uh, you can agree to disagree. And, and that's what's really good. So I really enjoy talking to him all the time. And I, I did. I did also notice that we forgot to talk about the wine, and yeah. and it was kind of like, nah, let's just leave it. We'll do it later on because this this, yeah. this is now flowing nicely. Uh, so let's talk about the wine before we wrap things up. I've gone for a Calvert Prestige Bordeaux. It's a Merlot Cab Sav. So it's got three different types of grapes. Um, very interesting blend, but thoroughly enjoyable. 2019. Uh, so it's been nicely just waiting. The wine you've gone for, I believe, a, a, a Chilean wine. I've gone for a yeah, I've gone for a Chilean wine, Grand Reserva Pinot Noir 2019 uh, Indomita. It's from the Casablanca Valley in Chile. Um, so again, yeah, going back to my my favourite wine of all, for sure. Pinot Noir, and just reading the notes here from um, from the winemaker, uh, pale ruby red robe. Although shy at the beginning, the wine slowly opens up Ooh. to show hints of flowers and violet, followed by notes of red fruit, cherry and strawberry. This is what really interests me. Blood, leather, and then coffee gun, powder, and vanilla at the end. That's very specific. It is. Isn't it? It, it is. Uh, a shy wine. I really like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, nice that's, that's really, really nice, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, brilliant. Like, like anything. I mean, you know... I certainly used to be like that, a little bit shy to begin with until you get yeah. to know someone, until you open up a little bit. And this is You're, my wife today. You shy? Oh, yeah, Jesus. it certainly was, yeah. yeah. I remember when I first met you, it was like meaning a bull out of a gate. <laughs> didn't, <laughs> didn't muck yeah, around like at all. See, I was in my mid-40s when we met. <laughs> yeah, true, yeah. See? Yeah. 
Okay, so we shall compare our wine to player in just a moment, but there's one thing that I do need to talk to you about before we wrap up. Um, it's been an interesting sort of... Uh, the festive period is always really interesting for a lot of teams. My team, Arsenal, uh, nine points ago, we're in a relegation fight. Now, all of a sudden, it doesn't look like they're ever going to lose another game. Uh, there's you know loads of teams that have just been either transformed uh, for better or for worse. Um, and it's a very interesting time. But we've got to talk about Chelsea... Um, really poor against Manchester City. Manchester City, in fairness, though, looked like they were back to their best. I will, I will say that. But some of the uh, the stats for poor old Frank Lampard doesn't look great. So, so far, um, in terms of the Abramovich era, he, points per game, he is bottom of the list for, for Chelsea managers. Uh, at 1.67 points per game above him. Coaches like Claudio Ranieri, Di Matteo, Sari. Ancelotti, Conte, obviously Jose Mourinho, but there's... It, it, is it panic stations yet, Mark? Or, or as I touched on there with the likes of an Arteta, three games ago he was going to get the sack and now all of a sudden, you know, he's a brilliant manager again. Yeah, but no, I, listen, I don't think... I, listen, is Arteta all of a sudden a brilliant manager again? I mean, yes. he's not a brilliant manager. He's a very good up-and-coming manager who's yet to prove at the level... Yep. consistently how good a manager is or, or yet to even reach a level to, to be able to judge on. Sure. Um, he's obviously found that they're going very, very tough, but they've turned it around and they've showed fighting spirit. Um, you know, they've been excellent. You know, the way that they've been able to turn around. Yes, you could argue and say, well, they beat Chelsea. And that was a very big surprise. The way that they played, not only the result, but the way that they played surprised, I think a lot of people, me included, they yep. showed fight, they dug in resilience and maybe all this talk of potentially being sucked in as being relegation having a relegation fight on their hands maybe was the best thing that could happen to them let's just wait and see but they've gone on a run obviously winning the last three games in a row and they've been well worthy of it and you've got to give credit where credit's due but there's still a long way to go they're still on the bottom half of the table but you'd rather be in that run of form than what currently Chelsea are in only you know one win and uh, no win in five um, yeah, very poor against, uh, against Manchester City at home. And the thing that I think would worry Chelsea hierarchy the most would be the, the attitude of players, um, body language, attitude that, that, that was portrayed. I'm not saying that is actually how they feel within that group. I'm just saying from looking from the outside, you'd be concerned because you're thinking, hang on a second, there's a lot of guys out there that really didn't put that extra shift in, didn't track back didn't try and, you know, make amends at all costs that they lost the ball. If they got, you know, they got uh, someone else lost the ball helping a teammate out. There just seems to be very little unity within that team at the moment. Then obviously all the rumour mills, you know, start. All the, the questions are coming out now uh, There's uh, and, and accusations that there's division amongst the group of players. Um, a lot of the signings haven't, they've dropped in form. They've shown glimpses, they've performed well at times and now they've dropped off again. Um, and there's a lot of inconsistency with his, with his team. And let's not forget, it's Chelsea. 2003, when Abramovich took over, since then to this day, you know, 17 years, right? He's had 16 different managers. Yeah. He's had a lot of success along that period of time. And the method that they've taken on, and it wasn't something I don't think, I don't believe that they set out to, to, to do, is changeover of managers to bring success but every time they change over managers they seem to bring success and let's be honest this is a very different circumstances with Frank Lampard last season he came in because 
of the circumstances they're in. They were banned from dealing in the transfer market. They had no money to spend. They wanted to promote. They had to promote within and deal with the current crop of players. So they went with Frank. When they make that decision, in my opinion, they've got to look at the long-term uh, view of it. Once their ban gets overturned, because at that particular time, they were looking at a two-year ban. So there was potential that that two-year period is a time for him to build on those players. Obviously, he gets up, uh, upheld. Then all of a sudden, they're back in the transfer market and they spend over £200 million. All of a sudden, it's as if the goalposts get moved a little bit. Yeah. And if you look at them this season, compared to last season after 17 games, last season they were on 29 points after 17 games in fourth place. This season after 17 games, they're on 26 points and in eighth place. The difference being the major difference, obviously the points are different, the place position, but the major difference is the outlay of, of, of money. Mm. 200 plus million spent in this season. That's the biggest concern. Where is the value of return? You know, where are they getting, are they getting any sort of value for their money? Is it right to make that call after a very short period of time, not giving him enough time to, I mean, it's six months now, obviously, or less than six months since the start of the season, but since those players have come in probably five months, four months, whatever, you know, you, you, you've, you've got to normally give managers time. Look at Ollie Goodersolskjaer, how much time he's been given. So I think you've got to give him more opportunity. But there will be a time, no doubt, and even maybe now already they're starting to ask questions. They're starting to look at alternative options. And, and Frank, in my opinion, has, has, uh, you know, will know full well what, what, what the, uh, you know, the lie of the land is like. He knows what Chelsea's like. He was there as a player. He knows what the management uh, industry's like. Any short-term involved, but he's seen it as a player. He knows it's ruthless. It can be cutthroat. In particular, he knows at Chelsea the way it's been. And he's the only one who'll know best because he's in direct contact with the owners, with the hierarchy, and he'll know where he is, where he stands. Jeez, it'd be a horrible start to his managerial CV if he got the flick. You know, you've got a, he, all he's got is, um, you know, not taking a, a derby side into the Premier League and then spending over $200 million and yeah. then getting yeah. sacked. Well, I, I think what he did with Derby was a remarkable accomplishment. I think people really don't... remarkable? They didn't, didn't even get up. <laughs> yeah, but, no, but when, I, when I say remarkable, remarkable to get him so close. Because look at them now. They're miles away from it. Yeah. You know, he, he brought Mason Mount, um, Tamori to the club. Would other managers have been able to do so? They would have maybe no. brought other players. But you know what I mean? Like Derby, were, I, think, I think they were punching above their weight at that time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, that was all down to Frank and his team. You know, his ability to bring certain players in. Um, he was getting the best out of a lot of those players. So, yeah, you, you know, you can, say, you can argue and say, well, what did he do? What do you achieve? I, like I said, I'll go back to it. I think he did a good job, a very good job at, an, at, a, at a team at Derby that punched, played a, you know, punched way above their weight. Does that give you the, the right then to take over at Chelsea? Not normally, but it's Frank Lampard. So mm. it's different. It's like Steven Gerrard. Does he get the right, should he have the right to go over and take over at Glasgow Rangers as his first job? Not normally, but it's Steven Gerrard. And as that's turned out with Ra- uh, Glasgow Rangers, it's a masterstroke because he's doing unbelievably well. So, you know, players get opportunity, ex-players get opportunity. People get opportunities because of their name alone. But that, that is very short-lived if you don't deliver. And, and Steven Gerrard's been delivering unbelievably well. Frank Lampard has obviously got some way to go still to deliver. I thought last season he did tremendously well to finish in a Champions League position with zero outlay. This season, everyone knew straight away, the minute they spent that sort of money, the pressure is going to be enormous if they go on bad runs. Sure. 
And Frank sure. will know that himself. He said it himself. He knows it. Okay, it's time to compare a bottle of wine, Mark, here on the Two Shut Reds. I've gone for the Bordeaux uh, Merlot Cab Sav from the Calvert Prestige. Every time I say it, I keep almost saying Calvert-Lewin every single time. I can't believe I've not... I've not done it so far, but no, it was a good wine, interesting wine. It's always very interesting when you've got a blend of, of different grapes. Um, I'm just reading uh, the the um, winemaker of this particular uh, Bordeaux says that he carefully selected the grapes from the most reputable vineyards from the Bordeaux area. Elegant and velvety, this Bordeaux Rouge is full of character, uh, and he wanted to create a perfect representation of its three grape variants. And I think he's massively done that. So the, the key words, elegant um, with a blend. The elegant one uh, is the big one. And then obviously it's a French wine. Um, and there's one man that, that I was sort of pretty talk, you know, I was pretty heavily into on, on Twitter over the weekend. Um, he's incredibly elegant. And I've watched back, you know, when he was playing, um, and he was a very interesting blend. Like I couldn't quite work him out. He, he was, um, he had a lot of strings to his boat, but it's, it was certainly the elegance that, that got me on this one. Um, and he's just returned to France. Uh, and I'm going to have to compare this one to Michio Pochettino. Yeah. No, he's, he's, right, he's one of the elegant men. In yeah. The I world. like him a lot. I, I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting him a number of times, chatting to him. I've interviewed him before. Looks like a nice guy. Is he? Does yeah. He, yeah. All, all of his coaching staff as well. Really, yep. really nice. Um, you know, conducts himself very, very well. Got all the time in the world for him. And I'm, I'm hoping he does a really, really good job there. And, and I hope he brings some... I mean, listen, everyone says he should win the league. Yeah, of course, he should win it. But you've still got to go out there and perform, get the team working together. And yes, with Neymar and Mbappe, it should be a walk-in. But it's not that straightforward as we see. You know, all over the world, teams are uh, finding it difficult. Um due to the circumstances. But yeah, I hope he does well. I hope he delivers silverware because uh, yeah, I've got a lot of time for him. Okay. Now take it away with your wine. I'll try yeah, and so try I'm, and listen I'm, and pay attention. Yeah. Try and pay attention. Right. Cause it's <laughs> so rude if you don't, honestly. <laughs> Who'd do that? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, Jesus. Um, yeah. I've gone for a Grand Reserve, a Pinot Noir 2019. It's called a Indomita. It's from Chile, from the Casablanca Valley. Um, and just reading, just, Going back to the winemaker's notes, pale red ruby robe, although shy at the beginning, the wine slowly opens up to shows hints of flower and violet, followed by notes of red fruit, blood, leather, and then coffee gunpowder and vanilla at the end. That's um interesting co- mix. Co- coffee gunpowder. Do you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't really know what that is, what that is. No, I don't really either, and I'm not I'm not feeling it. So I I'll don't. Ca- I'll, I'll... <laughs> I'm not feeling it, so I can't oh. really, I really can't comment on that one. So sure. interesting winemaker's notes there. I have to say, yeah, what you know, slowly opening up, definitely, um, definitely took some time to 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 show its best, and uh, that for me is the overriding factor in this in this wine. That you know, it's a, it's yeah, yeah, okay, and then as it starts to to settle, starts to hit the back of your your, your taste buds, um, that, you know, the usual fruity flavors, very nice. The blood, I'm, I, I, no, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm going to be someone who really knows distinctively what blood tastes like. Sure. Um, but that's interesting. Leather, not one to really necessarily like to uh, lick leather, eat leather, sure. drink yeah. leather. 
But you know, is, is it blood leather or blood comma leather? Blood comma leather. Oh really? So yes, I thought it was a blood leather. Hence right. the reason why I said blood and then leather. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just wanted to pull you up on it. Right. Yeah, no, but anyway, so go back to slowly opens up, taking its time to settle, and then you actually get to see and feel and taste its true uh, flavors, and it's really good, um, really nice, and showing its quality, starting to finally show its quality towards the end. So this player that I'm thinking of, I watched him on the weekend. Uh, I actually watched him last, last season quite a bit, the season before when he was at Lyon, and I really liked him when I saw him at Lyon, played against Manchester City in the Champions League. And then uh, last season when he arrived at, at Spurs, struggled to settle in. I think under Maurizio Pochettino, he lost his way a little bit, wasn't really understanding where he fit in, what his role was in the team. Um, found himself out of the team when Jose Mourinho came. He had a bit of a falling, seemed like a bit of a falling out with him. And seemed to be almost like the player's going to leave. He was almost certainly they were going to cut their losses on him. That's what the impression I had anyway. But he's rolled his sleeves up and he's showing that quality that he showed at Lyon. So he's taken time to settle. And it's coming out now. It's, it's starting to come to fruition now. And he's showing why they paid 60-odd million pounds for him. Um, and it's none other than Ndombele. Um, I think this wine is perfect for him. Well, Mark, it's time to wrap things up here on the Two Sharp Reds. And just a reminder to anyone out there listening, uh, really important, please, please leave a review uh, and a positive one because Mark, he needs feedback. You know, he's a former professional. You know, this is, you know, I'm all right. You know, I don't, I can sort of just go, you know, I'll leave myself a review. Um, But you sort of need notes. Is that fair enough to say that, you, you know, you need to know if you're going right, going wrong? Yeah, That'd I mean, be... you know, it's always interesting on social media. Social media is an interesting yeah. thing, isn't it? It's a, it's a wild Very place out there. And I mean, geez, it's um, can open up a can of worms that one, can't it? When yeah. you're asking for people to leave feedback, and you know, and no, I, I said positive feedback. Yeah, you did actually. Yeah, yeah you did. Yeah, yeah you I'll be deleting. Okay, listen, because we've not yeah. had very many, let's just give some any feedback. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah, and then hopefully the next two to three weeks we'll we'll you know. Pull it back to positive feedback open, exactly. uh, only, and we'll we'll uh, yeah leave the door open for that. But yeah, very much so. Please do that. And Mark, stay safe, stay Thank well uh, during the, these uh, scary times. Yeah, um, and um, not looking forward to going into probably full on lockdown. But anyway, let's just yeah, that's gonna be fun. roll with the punches and enjoy our wine in the meantime. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 